And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I go over the Sixers' 124-108 win over the Brooklyn Nets, who are without Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, their dreadful loss to a very shorthanded Portland Trailblazers team that was without Dame Lillard and C.J. McCollum, their continued struggles without Ben Simmons in the lineup, and the hyperextended knee that Joel Embiid suffered against the Blazers. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bonner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. If you're not already an Athletic subscriber, head on over to theathletic.com slash Sixers Beat. You can get a 50% discount on a yearly subscription. You can read Rich's recap of the Sixers' 124 to 108 big win over some of the Brooklyn Nets. How you 50% doing, off. 50% it. off. It's, it's sort of like the Nets star package. They were, okay, they were 66% off, but big discount, big discount. <laughs> I'm doing okay, man. I'm, uh, as as I told you before the show, I am praying that the uh, the snow does not stick outside on this Super Bowl Sunday. But as for everything else, pretty good. Yeah, I am, good. I am not going to be nearly as lucky. Uh, I am a little bit north of the city up in Bucks County, and we are supposed to get, I think right now, four to eight inches. It is definitely sticking. Um, so that will be fun. fun. I always love shoveling 20 inches of snow in a week. Always what I enjoy doing. It that really, be- by the way, I, this is a, a dumb observation. It really is crazy how 15, 20 miles can make all the difference when it comes to uh, to snow. Oh, it's huge. It's huge. It's and and my, my family's all up in the uh, Allentown area. And they will get, I mean, they got like, I think like 24 inches of snow the other day. It was insane. It was insane. And, and people get mad at the meteorologist when they get it wrong. Right. The, uh, when like the area that it can get hit is that tight. I don't know. It's, it seems like a tough job to me. It does. It does. What has not been a tough job lately is the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, they took care of business against the shell of the Nets who were without Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. So not quite the same team, uh, controversially without Kevin Durant. Not quite the same team they will place or face if they meet in the playoffs, but a good win nonetheless. Uh, they have now won, doing math in my head, eight of their last ten. Uh, and then I think that would be eight of the last ten, two more, ten of their last thirteen. Really great pod. I'm so great at this. Uh, th- this is a professional podcaster right here. TLDR, they are playing good basketball. Currently a game and a half up on the Milwaukee Bucks. I looked that up this time, uh, so I didn't have to guess and be wrong. And then three and a half up on the Boston Celtics, who are in third place in the Eastern Conference. I guess we'll start off with the win over the Nets. Or we could back up and go over that abomination over the Blazers. Which which would you prefer? Do you want to be positive or negative at the beginning of the podcast? Let's start with positive. Okay. So the 124-108 to win over the Brooklyn Nets. A game that was largely decided in that third quarter. Um, you know, I think at one point it was a, what, 79-79 tie. Uh, they called a technical on 
Danny Green because he was complaining about a missed call on a three pointer. Legitimate way, complaint, I think. I didn't think it was that legit, honestly. I, I, I thought. Was, I mean, look, did he lean into it? Yeah, he leaned into it, but I don't know. I also didn't maybe, go back and rewatch it yet. So maybe I was influenced because I had the game recap last night, and for some reason, the game is at eight o'clock. By the way, what what is this? That's two games in a row that were on local TV well, at eight wait, o'clock. Wait until next week when they're like 10, 10 o'clock starts or whatever. At least that's the West Coast. Like, at least there's a, a reason for that. There is no reason in hell for this these is, games to be on at eight o'clock. This is such old man sportscaster take right now. I love it. I love but anyway, it. I was listening. I was watching the broadcast because I wanted to get my story in on time before the uh, before the U-Desk closed up shop. And Allah was pretty against Danny's uh, jump into the defender. I The one thing with Danny Green, I don't think he gets the benefit of the doubt when it comes to complaining with calls. He will complain everything. Yeah. Like during that abomination against Portland, and he was he was right about this, but remember when Gary Trent fell hard after the Dwight Howard foul sure. at the end of the game? You know, it was very quiet. They weren't playing any music afterwards. Danny Green was screaming at the refs, offensive foul, offensive foul. And to be fair, like there was a little bit of off our movement. Dwight was going to get the common foul call regardless. But Danny Green will, whether it's uh, he wants a review, whether he thinks the call is bad, he is not afraid to complain about anything. And I think it's pretty charming because it's not like it's the entire game. It just happens once or twice a game. Danny Green isn't involved in a ton of different actions, like maybe like a Luka Doncic or a Joel Embiid or somebody, but uh, he he has some some spirited opinions on these calls. Yeah, yes, he does. Sixers have a, a number of players who have some pretty spirited opinions, um, but I Shake. guess that's what ha- Shake definitely does. Definitely does. Um, his his usage rate on spirited opinions is definitely very high. <laughs> but uh, after that non call and then missed technical, Sixers went on I think like a fourteen to two run, something in that range. And Danny uh, Green made a couple threes. He made a couple of corner threes. A lot of people attribute that to him being angry. I attribute it to the fact that they were wide open corner threes. <laughs> they tomato, tomato. Open. We'll see. Uh, but the Sixers took control of the game during that stretch. Yeah, I mean, look, they played pretty well. You know, I think what else else coincided with that stretch besides a couple of really good corner threes from Danny was Ben Simmons being switched on to James Harden. Made his life a lot more difficult. Ignited some transition opportunities. A good win. A good, and despite the fact that they couldn't shoot from three again, which is becoming a little bit of an alarming trend here over the last couple of days, coincides with uh, Seth Curry struggling, which we'll get to in a bit, but a good win nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, maybe it was just because it was coming off the Portland loss, but it does feel like you're looking up at the scoreboard a lot more in recent games and thinking, man, they're minus 18 from the three-point line right now. This is this is not a way to win basketball games. Yeah. And, they still do, for the most part. But yeah, I think that's a concerning trend. And they're also just not creating threes. You know, Embiid took too many last night, in my opinion, just because he's so dominant from inside the arc. But some of these other guys better he, start he, creating some threes, man. He's amazing, though, because he can jack up seven threes, and you're like, that's too many. He's wasting opportunities to get inside. He still ended up with 14 free throws in 31 minutes. Like, that's how dominant he can be in a, in a foul-drawing capacity. It was... Yeah, you're right. I mean, it it was no, too many. You're right too. He took too many, especially when he was off. It was the difference between a forty point game and a thirty three point right, game, right. maybe. And Which, if 
the Nets had their other stars that might have been relevant, but they didn't. So yeah, you're right, and I I don't want to make it seem like I'm accusing him of of anything bad because he's frankly infallible. It was also good to see that after the knee scare from the Thursday night game, thought he looked pretty good. Was a very scary play at the end. TLC dove at his freaking knee in yeah. it. It seemed like he hit it a little bit. Well, he came but, up and he like rubbed it for like two seconds. And I think he realized that if I do this, people are going to read into it. And he got up and he like ran down the court. But it was a scary two seconds for sure. There's a scary two seconds every game. I hate <laughs> it. It's the worst. I mean, the, you know, and he, he played through the Thursday game, somehow scored, what, 27 points in the second quarter, 25 points, 25. one of those two. Yep. Most he in was- a, a, most in a quarter by a Sixers player since the play by play era, which is like, Basically, right around Iverson's rookie season, he wasn't even a hundred percent. No, any like Euro step or hard cut type move, like he couldn't do that at, at a high level. So, you know, it was basically that that hang dribble pull up, which is, I mean, that's just cash right He's now. He's shooting a hundred percent on him. I'm, I'm convinced, convinced. And then he, you know, he got Rodney Hood and Carmelo Anthony on him a couple times, and then it just turned into, all right, I'm backing your ass into the basket. Really, really amazing quarter by him. But yeah, it was it was good to see him looking better. But yeah, I am a little concerned that they're not generating a ton of threes. Back to Simmons, which I I thought was the big takeaway from the game. Like Embiid scoring thirty three points, eh, that's fine. It's normal. Yeah, it's normal. you know he's he's very good. I I can't really make the he's very good observation seventy two times during the season. You know, yeah, you, you have to mix it up a little bit. Like what what else is new, interesting, fresh, that type of thing. I thought how the Sixers defended Harden was the most interesting part of that game. You know, and and Kyle asked Doc a good question before the game, like, okay, Katie and Kyrie aren't suiting up in this game, but how would you decide to deploy Ben Simmons? Because if you really look at the Sixers right now, there is a major drop-off in that starting lineup defensively after Ben Simmons. Yeah. So you have to use him wisely. And Doc talked about how, okay, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. You know, there's there's a foul drawing element. There's a we want him fresh for the fourth quarter element. You know, his – what do the other guys – how do they match up against the, the other great players? And we didn't really get a chance to see it. Just thinking about that, like, Brooklyn's going to be a bitch to match up against. Yeah. In the play- – <laughs> Well, I mean, Doc I- talked about resting them. You're not going to have that opportunity – if no. you face him with all three stars, you know, I thought it was interesting doc. And like, we sort of predicted this because he's done it before, but he came out and he didn't, you know, Danny green defended him for most of the first half, him being hardened. And, you know, I get where doc's coming from in terms of conserving energy and in terms of fouls, conserving fouls. Thing, I think, but Ben's pretty good at staying out of foul trouble. I feel like, and it's not like those points in the second half are worth any more than the points in the first half. Like, I, I probably, if you ask me, I probably would have given Simmons a chance to at least defend some of him in the first half, see whether or not he could do it without getting into foul trouble. Um, and, I mean, energy isn't really something I worry about with Simmons either. Like, he's pretty much machine in that regard. I might, I think Doc might have been a little conservative in the first half with Simmons on Harden. Um, I might have been a little more aggressive in putting him on there more often. But I get where he's coming from. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Yeah, hey, look, I, I agree with you. It might have been one of those things where if they didn't have that great run at the end of the game, we might be talking about what the hell was Doc Rivers doing. Because, you know, to start the third quarter, you have Danny Green giving up layups and floaters yeah. to Harden, and I'm thinking like, you know, Doc, uh, there's You've a got, guy guarding got this guy over there. Yeah, he's, he's guarding Jeff Green. I, you know, I don't know. I think Dan, <laughs> Danny might do okay against Jeff Green. I, I'm not too worried about that matchup. Uh, so yeah, I did think I gotta admit that the the glancing over works much better in video than when this was an yeah. audio only podcast. Yeah, it does. He uh, and he did make the switch, and uh, yeah, I mean, it wasn't just Simmons who was guarding Harden. The Sixers put in Thibel who. You know, we talk about Thibault's lack of offense a lot, and it's real. It's real. But against these teams with multiple strong perimeter players, he could be a really important matchup. You know, especially against a team like the Nets, who I'm pretty convinced Embiid in a playoff series might be able to score on three of these guys at once. So the idea of, like, doubling off Thibault with Kyrie Irving, I don't really think Kyrie Irving on a double is going to, like, fluster Joel in the same way other people might. So you might need him, you know, and he did a nice job on multiple possessions against Harden. Like the Sixers were willing to make that switch. Like Simmons and him were like, okay, we'll switch that. If uh, I think it was Shamit who Thibel was initially guarding, that's fine. We'll, we'll switch that. And you guard Harden. And, you know, I, I know Matisse can, can probably get a little excited on Faust, but he did a good job on a couple possessions, blocked them, on a weird little post-up Harden had, and then Simmons and Korkmaz made, a, made an off-ball steal. Um, but yeah, this, the Sixers' defensive energy, intensity, I mean, it certainly picked up when they put Simmons on Harden. They were sure. they were down one, I believe, when they made that switch. And then, you know, there were seven minutes left in the third quarter. They were up 16 at the end of the quarter. So it seems like that was a pretty simple move. But yeah, like w- how they deploy him when the Nets have all of their guys is going to be pretty interesting. I would imagine it's not Kyrie, but like, so do you just, you just live with Durant lighting up Tobias? Is that what's going to happen? I mean, that is like, he is your best defender on all three of those players, which is pretty amazing because they're all three pretty different players. Uh, But he is, and and different body types, but he is certainly your best defender on all three. Um, yeah, it'll be, I'll, I'll, I can't wait until they, I mean, they've now played them twice. So they have two more against Brooklyn yeah. coming up here in the second half. Um, Please be, be healthy, everybody. And yeah, and don't, and free. Uh, don't get in the same car as the, uh, the people who have COVID that KD well, situation was, was wild. Yeah. Well, and it was a, a team employee, right? Yeah. That um, sucks. I felt bad for him. Yeah. Like it, you, <laughs> I mean, the NBA is in a real like no win right now, and that doesn't mean I don't mean to imply that they're doing things the right way, especially with the KD. Like the consistency there would have been just as important as the final decision was. Not just as important because the final decision impacts health, but like consistency would have been a lot better in that regard. 
Um, I, wa- you've got, I watched you've that. Got- I watched that full game. By the way, he entered the game. You know, after the initial ruling that he wasn't allowed to play, and then five minutes in, they were like, "Okay, you can play." Like he's he's literally tying up his shorts and is putting on his shirt as he's going into the game. And he was Kevin Durant. He was great. Uh, so, and that's what I wonder a little bit with Simmons. Like, as good of a defender as he is, like which player can he make the biggest impact on? Because I don't care if Kevin Durant is being guarded by Kawhi Leonard. We saw this earlier this week. If he's making shots, yeah, there's nobody in the world who can guard him. Yeah, it'll it'll be fun to watch. You know, I guess tying up up the the doc angle to this. You know, like I said, I I understand where he's coming from. Like, I don't think he he he. I don't think it was a mistake that he was making. I think he was just too a little more conservative than I would have been. As I guess how I would have phrased it. Uh, and maybe that's because I've watched Simmons defend for so long, and I'm confident in his ability to maintain his energy and stay out of foul trouble. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see. I mean, it, it worked out um, on Saturday night, so it's hard to complain too much. The the energy thing worked out too. Like. There have been past games where the Sixers have been sluggish, and then Simmons just plays at 100 miles per hour in the third quarter. And really, I think that was, that was something that they were missing on Thursday night when they lost to the Blazers. Like sometimes when they're playing bad against a bad team, he'll just put it in a hyperdrive and yep. get them through the through the game. And that's you saw that a lot last year. Yep. That's not exactly what happened in this game, but it was the difference with his energy on Harden was was a big deal. As you mentioned, Joel Embiid, 33 points, 9 rebounds, 3 assists, 3 steals. Ho-hum, another night in the office. Pretty good performance from the bench, uh, relatively at least, in Milton and Korkmaz. And Thibel giving you something. Uh, like you mentioned, that three-man group of Simmons and Green and Thibel, real good because they can switch anything, and Harden is as good as anyone maybe in the history of the league at drawing out switches. So that was important. I'm not sure how many games you can get away with playing that lineup major minutes. There's some... Limitations that come with it, i.e. two guys who can't dribble and two guys who can't shoot. Uh, that can be tough to work around at times. But last night, uh, with that matchup, with that superstar, it certainly did ignite them uh, quite a bit. Uh, Shake, 15 points, 6 for 13, 1 for 3 from 3, finally made a 3. Furkan, another decent night, 13 points on 5 of 11 shooting, 3 for 6 from 3. It's just nice to get something from the bench because you've had... Um, you know, you had that Maxi and Milton combo that was such a spark earlier, and they've. I mean, we mentioned Milton's struggles here on the last podcast. Maxi played only garbage time on Saturday night, so it was nice to get that um, performance from Furkan uh, and, and and Shake because they do need that. Those two were Milton and Maxi were absolutely dreadful in that Portland game, yep. and Maxi hit a couple threes at the end along with Isaiah Joe. Made to his, make his numbers look, yeah, decent. make the score and his numbers look a little bit better than what they were, but they were just bad on both ends of the floor in that game. Now, was that probably an outlier where the Sixers worse than they're normally going to be? Yeah, and was Portland better than they're going to be? Yeah, but they, those guys have not been playing that well. We also, you know, I thought about this a little bit during last night's game. There's going to be a Dwight Howard conversation pretty soon if he start keeps playing like this. Oh sure, I think we had that a uh, a week or two ago. He's been this is this is starting to get kind of serious though. He's been pretty bad yeah. for a while. Yeah, well, it, and and it's one thing to be bad, but he's also bad and a bad fit. So it's a uh, it's a double whammy. They need the good version of Dwight Howard to come back. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, at least 
like last night wasn't like I wasn't screaming every time he tried to dribble handoff last night. Or no, maybe I did. Did he botch one? It he definitely matter. he definitely botched a a drive against DeAndre or somebody like that. He yeah. he should not be allowed to put the ball on the floor. That's a no. thousand dollar fine every time you do that. Yeah. Yep. Any post up is a ten thousand dollar fine, by the way. It's also a ten thousand dollar fine for the guy who throws it to him in the post. <laughs> I don't care how Mace deep Hayes treatment. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I don't care how deep his post position is. Okay, if if he's playing against a guy who is like six foot two, then maybe you can throw it to him against a seal. But even then, he's just going to get fouled and probably miss both free throws yeah. at this point. So what are we doing? No, he's 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 struggling. He's struggling in a big way. And he was so good for the first two weeks or so of the season that you hope he can get it back. And look, he played a decent role with the Lakers last year. But um, I have I have my concerns, and I would love to make a a stretch five a priority at the trade deadline for sure, for sure. Even even in part to complement Ben better, in part to give them another option for when Dwight is having these multi week stretches like he's currently on. Well, well, there are things that are baked in too. The the two moving screens a game, those are baked <laughs> yeah. in. The missed free throws. By the way, <clears throat> excuse me. His like moving the distance of his free throws from Nick Van Axel distance <laughs> to maybe a little bit closer is, I mean, that that is legitimately pretty funny. Well, it's funny, but it's hard to be consistent when you're changing everything all the time. Hey, look, I agree. I like, mean, the, you're, you're not a shot doctor, but I think that's fair. <laughs> the point where you stand is supposed to be the easiest part to remain consistent. Maybe yeah. he should go further. Maybe they should be threes. <laughs> He's shooting like a hundred percent on threes this year. That's that's on a very large sample size, but <laughs> yeah, he's uh he's been frustrating. And and then there's also the jump for the block that you can't get, and his guy just lays it in on the uh, on the weak side. So they need to play better. And I also think, you know, the the I the role that he played for the Lakers last year sometimes can get a little bit overstated. As you're seeing, that's a a pretty good core group of players anyway. And it was more like he was almost the center Keith Bogans where he would, (laughs) you know, he'd play like the first seven minutes of the game. Sure. And they'd, you know, he'd he'd bang with the other team's opposing center, but then he wouldn't play the rest of the half. So, I, you know, he, he did play a role on that team. He was helpful. I think he's certainly helpful in terms of like, off court, keeping the uh, the locker room loose as much as they're able to talk that those type of things, not giving up on him, but his role might have been a little bit overstated. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I mean, look when when Javale McGee's starting over you, there's probably a reason, probably a reason. Anyway, uh, let's go to Seth, who had been an offer on his last um, what six quarters of play, eight quarters of game action. Uh, he went an offer in the two quarters he played against the Blazers before being pulled at half because he wasn't feeling well. And he was an offer against Charlotte for the whole game. And then was, I think, was it late in the first half or early in the second half? I think early in the second half where he finally got his first points against the Late Nets. in the first half. Okay. Corner three from Ben. Right. And he, I, he had like nine points in a pretty quick spurt there. Uh, maybe it was three in the first half. Six, it doesn't matter. Um, but he ended up with a decent enough night of 11 points including two of three from three-point range. But after the game, he was pretty open about the fact that he was still not feeling himself. Um, he, he said, I have been feeling great over the last week or two, uh, trying to work through it, trying to get my body and my mind and everything back in the flow of playing. 
He then said, there's just some fatigue off and on ever since I came back and came back being from his COVID diagnosis. Um, this is new territory. So I'm just trying to figure it out and listen to the doctors and trainers and work through it while trying to get my game in order at the same time. He then at one point said the team needs me out there. So I'm trying to go out there and give them what I have. I don't know if I have too much to say on this topic in large part, because we don't truly know what Seth is going through. You know, every COVID diagnosis is different. Every body reacts differently. The long-term effects are different for every person and in every case. He does look like he hasn't had quite as much energy. And, you know, in the middle of the, at halftime of the Blazers game, you know, Doc was asked and he said, look, he said he didn't feel great and that's all we needed to hear. I don't know if Seth, this is something Seth should be playing through. I don't know if this is just sort of the new reality for the short term, hopefully just a short term of what he's going to go through. It's so tough because every situation is different. It, But he definitely has not looked his, and look, he came out and he was on like shooting 60% from three before his COVID diagnosis. There was always going to be a regression. This isn't just regression though. And it does make sense that he would say that he has had fatigue. Yeah, it sucks. It's something more than him coming back to earth. It like as a, as a shooter, he's legitimately sick and it, it sucks. And it's, you know, it's something you read about all the time that different people react differently to this virus and have, different lingering after effects. And, you know, in Seth's case, he was pretty positive about how he was feeling when he yeah. initially came out of, uh, of his two week absence. Like he played really well in that first game. If I remember correctly, he was making shots, all, all that different stuff. Um, it's, it just sucks. I don't, I don't know what else to say that, you know, you have a guy who's, who's clearly not a hundred percent because of this. And, you know, it's not it's not his fault at all, and I don't I don't know what the uh, the right answer is. I do think that he uh, I don't know if Allah said this on Saturday's broadcast or or Thursday's broadcast, but you know he was scoreless through a half of one of these games, and Allah was like, "Well, the team has sixty two points. Like, it's not a big deal. Like, your your shooting matters. Like, with with the gravity and, and how defenses guard you." And that was like an old J.J. Redick thing, and I, I agree with that. But, uh, yeah, he's just not able to to make the the open threes at the same level. He he struggled guarding Joe Harris at times a little bit in last night's game. That's a little bit of a tough matchup for him just because Joe Harris is bigger than him and can, can drive him. Um, but I just – I hope he gets better. Like I, I told him, you know, after asking those questions, like, feel better, man. Like that just completely sucks. I don't know uh, – what else to say? Hopefully this is a short-term thing, but it, it certainly explains why he's not playing as well. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It's, um, you know, I think the Sixers for the most part have been pretty lucky so far in this pandemic, um, both in terms of games missed and real world health implications. Seth is, um, you know, Seth's the exception to that. And it, 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 it sucks. It, it sucks. It sucks. Pretty lucky, I agree with you, and that is with your starting shooting guard losing his energy for two weeks, right? right. For no reason, for a, a reason that didn't exist a year ago. Sucks. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. 
Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, what do you have on the um, on the Portland debacle? It, it really sucked. <laughs> it did really suck. Talk about a game with just no energy. Uh, that was, I mean, they just, they looked flat from the outset. Uh, they... You know, obviously, Joel Embiid had that big second quarter where he scored 25 points. The rest of his teammates scored four, which I'd love to say that that was just because they didn't get any opportunity, but they looked a little flat, and Joel Embiid lifted them up and made it competitive at the half in a game they shouldn't have been competitive in and gave them a chance to turn it around, and they just they couldn't turn it around. And, like, you're not talking, like, look, you come in and there are some schedule losses built in, and you accept that as a long-term basketball fan. This and this was a tough one. Like whenever teams come back off of a road trip, they tend to struggle. Back to back on top of that, definitely could understand a lack of energy. They got freaking destroyed by Gary Trent Jr. and a thirty what eight year old Carmelo Anthony. <laughs> Melo was good, yeah. <laughs> like the, when you when the other team's missing Dame Lillard and C.J. McCollum and all the people that they miss, like Nurkic. Nurkic, like that changes, like, yeah, maybe coming in, you thought this was a schedule loss. That was recalibrated after that injury report. They should have had a much better outing against that. It was, it was tough to watch. And look, this is a team that so far has been pretty consistent night in, night out with their effort. Haven't really had too many off nights. That was one and it sucks and it was tough to live through and tough to watch and tough to cover. And I'm sure tough to play in. It's probably not enough to make a big deal out of just because it's been one game in a, you know, season of 24. Uh, but it, it sucked. It sucked. This team is awful on back-to-backs. Yep. Like, like, I hope like, they make that excuse after every time they get killed on back-to-backs, which, to be fair, are, like, pretty much the only games they're losing right now. But I hope they do realize, like, some, some of the teams that they play are on back-to-backs, too when they have a, a schedule advantage, like that is a part of NBA life. And they, man, they just do not do a good job. And I mean, for, for them to completely overshadow Embiid's second quarter performance was yeah. a major bummer because that, that was, was unbelievable. Great, that was great. That was, it might be the best performance in a, in a 
Eh, I don't. There's been a lot of really good ones by Iverson, so I don't want to go too. That was a an incredible performance for sure. For sure, he he was playing at such a high speed too. It felt like he was. You know, when you think of Joel Embiid in the past, like a lot of people have used the verbs or sorry, the adjectives like slower, plotting, like those type of things. Like he likes to play a half court game. He was catching the ball on delay, taking two quick dribbles, firing it up with like 19 seconds on the shot clock. It was I mean, he was ready to play run and gun basketball. It was yeah. amazing. Um, So, yeah, that that really did stink. But, yeah, it was. An isolated performance. I, I guess the big talking point after that game, and Doc was quick to go to this because he's he's quick to be the the Ben Simmons hype man. Was look, you guys are idiots. Like I, I told you, like th- that he's very valuable, and uh, all you guys talk about are these threes. And I'm thinking, like, okay, Doc, like re- relax a little bit. But the Sixers, I, I think I, I saw a stat. The Sixers are. Seven and sixteen without Simmons over the past two years. Now some of those are the playoff series against Boston. Some of those did not have Embiid as well. So it's like, well, of course they're going to lose that game. Uh, but but I do think there is something to maybe not like because we look at the on-off numbers when it comes to Embiid and Simmons, and Embiid's on-off numbers are a lot better. The the Simmons only lineups don't do as well. But I, I do think there is something to, when you remove Ben for an entire game, that changes a lot for your team. Changes who guards the other team's best player. Changes who the point guard is. Changes how many threes you're able to create via the, the drive-in kick. You said Gary and, Trent doesn't drop 26 if Ben Simmons is guarding him? Or 24? Either him or Melo is not having as good of a game. I think that's fair to say. I agree. I and agree. then the, the trickle-down effect is Danny Green is guarding a worse player at that point. And so, so you know, while I do think, like, a little bit of Doc sentiment is overblown, like we are completely hopeless without Ben Simmons, you should not be completely hopeless without him if you have Embiid. There, yeah. there, is, something, there is something to it. Like, they, they do not play as well when when Ben is, is absent. And if we are going to go nuts about how bad they are when Joe doesn't play. I, this has to at least be pointed out. Yeah. And look, I, I, I think the numbers like the team, I think shoots 40% from three when Sim is on the floor, like 29% when he's on the bench. I think there's some of that where Ben creates better shooting opportunities because of what he can bring. But also like Furkan Korkmaz was just like, he, he, he missed a lot of wide open looks in that game. I think he was one for seven. Danny Green missed some wide open looks in that game. They ended up shooting seven for 27 as a team. They should have shot much better than that. They had the quality of looks to shoot better than that. And Ben Simmons, he's a good offensive or defensive rebounder, but they shouldn't have given up 19 freaking offensive rebounds to the Blazers in that game either. And that was a big part of the reason why they got blown off the floor. So I think there's some of it, like certainly he changes your defense and the other team and what they can get into because of the pressure he can provide. Uh, the versatility he has is huge. He does create better three-point looks than they get when he's not there. But also, they just missed a lot of shots, had tired legs, and had shitty effort. Yeah. You mentioned the rebounding, by the way. Their rebounding is bad this year. Yeah. I remember when we brought that up a couple of weeks ago, and we said, yeah, it was kind of okay, though, before the whole COVID thing happened, and we don't expect it to stay this bad. Well, you look up now, they're 24 games into the season, and they are... Hold on, I have it right here. 
Ninth in offense rebounding, fine. Nineteenth in defensive rebounding. Ridiculous. After being second last year. They're yeah. getting pummeled by and Cantor having a big game against Embiid on the boards, that has happened before. Sure. I actually, the game that I thought back to was the Christmas Day game 2017, I believe. Sixers won, but Cantor, I think, had like 24 rebounds, and he was playing volleyball on the rim to keep the, the New York Knicks close in that one. Uh, he, he's certainly a good offensive rebounder and somebody who's had success against Embiid in that regard. But they're just not rebounding well as a group. Yeah. I'm looking at Embiid's his per 36 stats. I mean, he was at 14 rebounds the past two years. He's down to 12 right now. And, you know, he's not getting a body on, on some of these guys. Ben Simmons, you know, we could talk about his uh, all of his positive attributes. He, he has not boxed out one player in his life. Uh, and then the Sixers are smaller elsewhere. And I, I don't know what is to blame for this, if they're just maybe a little more aggressive in the pick and roll, and that is... Uh, that is causing some of this poor rebounding, but for a team with Embiid and Simmons to be 19th in defensive rebounding, that's no good. That's got to change. They do have a lot of really bad rebounding guards. They do. Like Seth Curry, Shake Milton, Furkan, like there's just a lot of people, Tyrese, a lot of people in that rotation who just do not have a nose for the ball. In that regard, uh, it puts a lot of pressure on your your big two. It does. It does. But they they should be better for sure, 100%. What do you think of the uh, decision to start Furkan in Ben's place? I didn't mind it. He didn't make any shots, but you know, with how Maxi and and Milton played, like they wouldn't have been any better. You know, and, and I do think like the the reaction to that you, you want to see the traditional point guard, but Doc almost he he almost predicted what happened. You're going to play through Embiid to a comical amount, and obviously the the knee hyperextension got in the way of that in the first quarter. But as you saw in the second quarter, like you're just going to give the ball to MB oh every time. We didn't bring up the hyperextension. We brought that it up was, a little that earlier. Was, we brought it up earlier when we were talking about the other game, but that was a scary one. That was a scary one. That had shades of, what was it, 20, uh, 2018 um, Houston. Or no, 2017. 27, early 2017 Houston. Yeah. Yeah, 2016, yeah. 17. Yeah, I mean, he just, he really came down with a lot of force on that straight right leg at it you know people were like did he bang knees with canner i don't think it was that it was just he he came down on a (laughs) a very stiff right leg and it makes you wonder like how that doesn't happen more but to be honest i mean he gets half injured every game and it's uh he does that was a that was a scary that was a bad one though that was like you know with him falling on his back you're like okay this is gonna suck for a little while and but but i don't think like his season is going to end from a fall like that this is like, oh, I don't want to see anything in his knee get yeah. get complicated. And, no, that uh, was that was one where he he walks back into the the locker room. He comes back out. That could be a se- like it goes one of two ways. Either he's back playing and he feels okay, or his season is over and you're fucked. And I don't know what the percentages were on each one, but it was it was scary. It was scary. It was almost. I, I wondered if it was even worth it to bring him back. Yeah. In that game, it doesn't seem like there was any. Uh, he really looked pretty good against the Nets, I thought, health-wise. Like, he didn't seem like he was gritting it out. Maybe he was. I don't know. But uh, that was horrifying. I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't mind starting Cork in, uh, in Ben's place. You're going to need everybody to play better is, is the, the main point when, when Ben doesn't play. And uh, they didn't. Oh, f***. 
that. Sorry, I just got a notification. They updated it to six to ten inches. Not the direction I want to be going. Still not sticking over here. Uh, f- jealous. Jealous. Uh, yeah, no, look, I like. I think if Shake was playing well, you know, I think Doc's a little too beholden to keeping Shake as the six man. If Shake was playing well and in a groove, I probably would have started him over Furkan in that spot just because he gives you some additional ball handling. He gives you some creativity along with a lot of the shooting that Furkan provides you, but Shake's not shooting like that so far this year. So I got it. You know, I think in a normal game when, um, when Portland has more than nine healthy players, they probably try to press you and see whether or not you can, you can beat that. Um, but it's hard to apply pressure when you don't really have any reserves to go to. So I think that worked out in their favor, but no, I, I, I look when you, when Simmons goes down, you're funneling everything through and beat. So make his life easier. He is functionally your point guard, even if he's not bringing the ball up. By the way, we were worried about shake, bringing the ball up against teams that were pressuring him this season. He's done a pretty good job against that. Like I have not better, better. I mean, obviously he's not a, hasn't been playing Boston though, either. No. And re- really, TJ's the only one who who bothered him. Speaking of TJ, great bullshit steal by Embiid at the end yeah. of the third quarter of that game. It's pretty hard to hide behind players when you're the biggest guy on the floor by a mile. <laughs> I don't know what that pass was. They really didn't even show it on the TV broadcast because they thought the quarter was over. They I think they had zoomed in on whoever had scored the bucket before then. Um, but yeah, like Shake, at least he is he's bringing the ball up at a decent level and. uh it really only gets dicey when Danny Green is the person who uh, who brings the ball up. Yeah, I mean, I think the the basic gist of, of what we're talking about now, they're screwed when Ben Simmons doesn't play against good teams, too. They need him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they don't have... Uh, they're, they're, the rest of their starting lineup is so... Like, they're specialists. They don't have a real drop-in replacement for his skill set, for like, sure. Like, for look, sure. Embiid is better. His impact has felt... It's certainly more felt when he's out, but Simmons is good enough and he's important enough and the players behind him do not replicate his skills enough to the point where you are similarly screwed when he is out. All right. Uh, So they've got... Road trip. Where's where's my schedule? They've got six of the next eight on the road. I don't want to get the order wrong on the West Coast trip. So they have Sacramento... Portland, Phoenix, and Utah, a lot of late nights. Although one of those is an afternoon game, which I'm all for. Phoenix, uh, the, yeah. The other three late night games. Um, this old man is not super excited for that, but they do have six of their next eight on the road before finishing off the first half of the schedule with four games at the Wells Fargo Center. So It's a tough road trip. It is. And especially when you've got teams like Phoenix playing much better basketball right now. Sacramento's uh, won five of six too, and Utah right up there with <laughs> Utah's the best anyone. team in the league right now. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a real good trip. Hopefully, the Sixers will have most of their players available, and and not only available but up to their the top of their game because they will need it in this uh, in this run for sure. And I'm I'm hoping that Portland rematch is a little more of a actual game, both in in the score and that the Sixers don't get blown out, but that you get to see them up against their best players as well. They're a little bit of a Jekyll and Hyde team. They had Dame back against the Knicks, and they lost a pretty convincing <laughs> in a pretty convincing way. So, I uh, I'll set the over under on that as one and a half wins for that road trip. If you get two, 
I think it's a great road trip. Yeah. I'll take the over. I'll take the over. If you get if you get one, I think it's it sucks, but it's acceptable and it's it's understandable. As long as you're a little competitive in those games, if you lose like two or three close games. But man, if they get two with that road trip, that's like that's what number one seeds do. You split on that type of road trip, that's uh that's good. Sixers have only lost consecutive games once this year. They have a three game losing streak. That is their only losing streak on the season. Every other Lost has been a single. So, yeah, that'll be tested. This will be the hardest stretch. And I say that knowing full well that anything could happen and it could be either a cakewalk or impossible, depending on which way that anything goes. But uh, this this would be their strongest test of the season for sure. All right. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.